All right, well, I want to tell you a story about a time I was driving to Ikea. I bought a coffee table in the last week. And this coffee table is no joke. Okay, we got rid of our ottoman. You know what an ottoman is? Ottoman's like the, the squishy thing where you put the blankets in. We got rid of that because we wanted a coffee table because we eat in front of the TV a lot. So we're like, we want some place to put our, like, our cups and some place to put our plates. So we bought a coffee table. And if you know where Ikea is, it's like kind of far away. It's like 20 minutes away. And it took me forever to get there. And here's why. Because I kept trying to turn into Ikea and I kept getting denied. I kept trying to do a U-turn and I couldn't do it. So I was trying to get to Ikea. It was supposed to only be like 20 minutes. We get stuck in traffic. It takes a long time. And then Alexandra says, hey, you should probably turn left right there. And I say, Alexandra, why are you telling me what to do? Uh, no, I don't need to turn left there. I can just go straight past the store. I can turn left and it would be great. She's like, I think you need to turn there. And I'm like, no, it's okay. So I go past the turn. I don't turn left. What do you think happens to John when he doesn't listen to the directions? Um, it took me like 20 minutes to make a U-turn because I kept making left turns and it's like, no U-turn. Oh man, let me go a little further. No U-turn. Oh man, I'll just take a left turn. No U-turn. So I got stuck in this weird like um, universe of like no left turn, no U-turns. So it took me like 20 minutes after I passed the Ikea to do it. And here's the moral of the story. I didn't listen to Alexandra. John should listen to Alexandra as much as John can possibly do, but I was stubborn, okay? I was stubborn. And we all have those moments when we're told what to do and we're like, nope, I know better. I don't think it's gonna happen. And then we end up looking dumb in the end because we made the wrong decision. But the heart of all that was being stubborn, not wanting to change my mind, thinking I was right and that nobody else could be right. And it cost me 20 minutes and it was really annoying. But we still bought a coffee table, so that's good. But there's something we're gonna look at today in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Um, and here's what it's all about. It's about this. We need to not be stubborn when it comes to God. When God tells us what to do, sometimes our natural disposition is to be stubborn, to say, nope, I know better than God. God does not know better than me. And when we run across that, and when we notice that in our hearts, we need to say, I don't want to be stubborn. I want to be sensitive to what God has to say for my life. So let's check out this in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. So everyone grab a Bible, turn to Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. Yes, let's check this out. Deuteronomy 10, 12. So last time we were together, when we were looking at Deuteronomy, we checked out Deuteronomy 8, which said we need to make sure we're always remembering God. Even when things go well in our life and we have everything that we seem like we want, we need to make sure we remember God in all things. And then the time before that, if you remember a long time ago, we looked at two different chapters. We looked at Deuteronomy 7 and Deuteronomy 9. And both of those chapters talked about how God was really good to choose these Israelites out of all the nations on the earth. God chose these Israelites to be his special people. And we said the same thing is true for Christians. God chooses people today to be his special people. While he owns everybody and he's the king of the whole world, he has a special group of people that he shows special care and special love for. That's what this section is just coming off of. He talks a little bit more about the, the tablets of stone, which you remember those as the Ten Commandments. God gave these 10 important rules and he wrote them down on these two tablets. He remembers the story here. Moses kind of recalls the story at the beginning of Deuteronomy 10. Then he jumps into this and he basically gets into the summary of what Deuteronomy is talking about. Look at Deuteronomy 10, 12. Check this out in your Bibles. I want everyone to see it. It says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? What does God want from you? Let's, what, what's the bottom line? Let's get to it. He says, this is what God wants. What does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to have the right perspective of God, to walk in all of his ways. That doesn't just mean to like 
literally walk in a certain direction. It means to follow with your life the things that God says to do, to do what God wants you to do. What else does God want? He wants you to love him. He also wants you to serve him with all your heart and all your soul. Verse 13, he also wants you to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. So that's the bottom line of everything Deuteronomy has been about. You notice we're talking about the law and our series is called Love the Law, which sounds weird. You probably never said you love God's law before. You probably never said you love any law before because we talked about at the beginning how we usually think laws are bad for us. We usually think laws constrict our freedom. They, they, they make it tighter and harder to do what we want to do. But what the Bible says is we should have a love for God's law because God's law actually leads us in the right way. And it says here that what does God want of us? What does God want of these Israelites? He wants them to fear him, walk in his ways, love him, serve him with all their heart and to keep the commandments. Now, what he says is important at the end of verse 13. He says, these commandments God gave to the Israelites for their good. Most rules that you think about are not for your good. You think the rules about um, doing your homework before playing outside is not for your good. Do you, is that a rule in anybody's house? That was a rule in my house. I had to finish my homework before I could play outside. Um, I wanted to ride my bike somewhere. I know I grew up in a different time when people like ride bikes places, but um, maybe your person likes to ride your bike places or go to the park or whatever. Um, it was always, I had to finish my homework first before I could do those things. Maybe for you, it's you got to finish your homework before you can play video games. Okay, is that anybody's rule? That's somebody's rule. I see that right there. You got to finish your homework before playing video games. And you think, I don't like that rule. That rule does not sound like it's for my good, but the truth is it is. Because if you didn't have that rule, you probably never get your homework done. You probably just play video games, right? There's a lot of things like that. A lot of rules that your parents have for your good. And what God says is, this law that we're looking at, the book of Deuteronomy, is not meant to be oppressive to you. It's not meant to hurt you. It's actually meant to help you, okay? That's a super important thing to understand about God's rules. They're for our good, not for our bad. Now, look at verse 14. It says, behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the highest heaven, and the earth and all that is in it. So God owns everything, verse 14. Now, verse 15 says, yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them. You above all peoples as you are this day, which is basically what we covered in chapters seven and nine, which said that God chose to love these people above all the other peoples. That's supposed to be motivation for them to say, I'm going to follow God's rules because I'm one of God's special people. But look what he says in verse 16. Verse 16 is really the heart of everything we're going to look at right here. He says, don't be stubborn. Check out verse 16. He says, he gives actually an illustration. It says, circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your hearts and be no longer stubborn, okay? That's actually an illustration. So in the Old Testament, there was this surgery that was done called circumcision on just the men. And the idea was it was marking people off as God's people, that all the nations, they were a certain way, but God's people, they were this way. They were different. He gives an illustration. And what he says is your hearts need to have a surgery to them. There's something that's wrong with all of our hearts, and our hearts need to be changed before God. And more than that, it says, and don't be stubborn. So there's something hidden in there. You can't see it, but it's deep down in your Bible. Um, just kidding. It's not deep. It's just, it, there's something hidden in that word, stubborn, that our translation doesn't use. But if you look at any other Bible translation, they use it. Our people are trying to be a little nicer to us and explain what this means. But this was actually a figure of speech. He says, circumcise your hearts and also don't be stiff-necked. Okay. You know what it means to be stiff-necked? means to need a chiropractor, okay? No, that's not what it means. But a stiff-necked person in the Old Testament, it was a phrase in Hebrew, and here's what it meant. You are stubborn. You're stubborn. You got a stiff neck. 
It's like a, what, what it used to be was the animals. They wanted to put them like in, um, in like a collar and they are so stiff necked they wouldn't stick their head down to, no, put the collar on, put the collar on. You guys have a dog? Anybody have a dog? Is it hard to get your collar on your dog sometimes if they're like always like fighting you or your cats, they don't like the bath. I've heard that. This is all just myth to me because I've never owned a pet. So I don't know any of these things. You know, I never owned a pet ever. Well, like a fish, but that doesn't count, right? But cats and dogs, they don't like, they don't like to be bathed, right? They, they're, they're, they're stubborn. You want to get your dog in the bath? They don't like that. Or is it dogs that don't like bath or is it cats? I don't know. Is it cats? Is it bull? Okay, it's like cats. Okay, let's just imagine cats for a minute, okay? Um, cats don't like to get in the bath, right? They're stubborn. If you tried to force them in the bath, what do they do? They like tense up and like freak out, right? That's why cats are like maybe evil. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know if they're evil or not. I've heard some people think that. Who, who's a cat owner in here? Anybody got a cat? Anybody got a cat? Okay. They're, they're, are they stubborn? Is that true? No? Not, not yours. I'm hearing yes over here. So we got evil cat, evil cat, meh, okay cat, you know? But they're stubborn, right? You try to force them in the bath. They're like, nope, they don't want to do it. You drop them off a tree, they always land on their feet, right? It's just weird. I don't know. These cats are really weird, right? But they're stubborn, right? They don't want to do what you want them to do, okay? This phrase for stubborn means to be stiff-necked. It's the idea of an animal that doesn't want to put the collar on. It's like, nope, I'm not moving my head, right? Can you imagine a person with a stiff neck, right? That's what he says it's like when you're stubborn against what God wants you to do. If God gives you commands and he says, hey, do these for your good, and you're like the cat that doesn't want to get in the bath. Like, nope, I don't, I don't want to get in the bath. Don't, don't get me wet. Don't spray me with anything. It's like, well, you don't understand because you're a cat and you smell bad, okay? You need to start smelling good. And if you just get in the bath, everything works out for you, cat. But if you keep fighting, then it's not for your good. That's basically what he's calling you. He's calling you a cat that doesn't want to get in the bath, okay? Let's just go with that one. That's what he's saying to people here in the book of Deuteronomy who don't want to listen to God. He says, don't be stubborn like that. It's super important that our hearts are right before God before we do any of the other things. Because in the book of Deuteronomy, there's all these rules and all these things that we've already looked at. But at the heart of all these things is this. Are you willing to obey God? Are you actually willing to submit to God? Or are you stubborn? That's the key to all of this. That's the key to understanding the book of Deuteronomy. Are you going to be willing to listen to God and submit to God, or are you going to be stubborn? Super important that you understand that. And also, it's important for you to know, I, I want to do what God says because it's better for me to stop being stubborn and start being sensitive to what God says. So point number one, I'd love for you to write this down from the beginning of this section that we already looked at. Know that God's commands are for your good. I just want you to get that down for point number one, because that's super important if you're going to ever submit to what God says. Know that God's commands are for your good. The things that he tells you to do, that's a good thing for you. If a, if a uh, cat is taking a bath, it had to be convinced at some point along the way that it's good to take a bath. Um, or your cat's just weird and they like taking baths. Um, but cats usually don't understand things that are good for them and things that are bad for them, right? M most of your pets don't. Maybe some of your smart pets like dogs or pigs or chickens. I don't know. Chickens smart? Is that? No? Chickens aren't smart? Pigs are smart, right? Okay, so pigs, pigs know what's up, right? So anyway, if your animal's smart, I guess, then it knows what to do. But most things don't know what's good for them, right? Your, your dog doesn't say, hey, you know, I'd like to take a bath now. Um, they, they've never had that conversation with you. Um, but the thing about understanding our relationship with God is we need to know that whatever God tells us to do is actually for our good. 
And that's hard for us to believe sometimes. But the beginning of this text makes it very clear. Fearing God, walking in his ways, loving him, serving him, keeping his commandments, all those things are for your good. The beginning of the book of Deuteronomy, we talked about it a little bit. Deuteronomy 6 verse 24 says this. The Lord commanded us to do his statutes and to fear him for our good always. And then it explains that a little bit, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. So the only people that are alive at this point in the book of Deuteronomy are the ones that obeyed God. We already saw that at the beginning of the book. Our first sermon in the book of Deuteronomy reminded us that the group of people that's about to enter God's good land, they're the ones that obeyed God. The ones that disobeyed God and served other gods, they died earlier on. They were killed. Their fathers, their parents' generation, that whole group of people, almost a million people, they actually died in the wilderness over that 40-year time period. They died, some of them good deaths, some of them bad deaths, but they all died because they wouldn't trust God. Now, the people here are the ones that are already trying to trust God. They're the ones that are trying to obey God. And what Moses says to them is, you need to make sure that your heart is always in the right place before God. Make sure that you know that God's commands for you are good for you. I just wonder that if you think about what you've learned at church, the, the Bible verses you memorized, do you really believe that God has your best interest at heart? Do you believe that? Because I think the reason a lot of people go and move from elementary school through junior high to high school and they walk away from the church is they think God doesn't have my good in mind. He doesn't have my good in mind. He's telling me to do things that are bad for me. I don't want to do them, right? That's like cats not wanting to take a bath, okay? It's not, it's not for your good to avoid taking a bath. And that's true for cats and it's true for you. I know you junior high guys, you're starting to realize you can get really smelly if you go a day or two or three or four or five without showering. Um, but you need to take a bath too, right? You know what I'm talking about? All right. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's early in the year. You'll get armpit hair at some point this year. So then you'll understand. Um, <laughs> The girls know. The girls know. The girls are like, guys, you smell really bad. Like, you need to take a bath, right? If you thought, hey, it'd be good for me not to take a bath, I'd say, well, you know what? That's not for your good. It'd just be good for you to just take a bath at some point, okay? Even if you don't believe it's good for you, the truth is it is. That's the same thing with God's commands. And I just wonder if that's how we view God's commands for us. Or do we think it's a big burden for us? It's a big thing that's a drag. It's a thing that's a bummer. Yeah, my friends at school, they don't have to obey God, but I do. It's a bummer I have to obey God. It's a bummer I have to do the things that God says, but it's, it's cool for them because I'm glad they don't have to, right? That's the wrong perspective. That's the wrong type of thinking. Even the, the New Testament goes on. First John chapter five, verse three says, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not a burden to us. They're not a burden. It's not a hard thing. It's not a bad thing. Is it hard sometimes to obey God? Yes, but ultimately obeying God is for our good. The text that we're looking at in Deuteronomy says the reason we can know that therefore our good is because God has been so good and so loving to us. That's how we can know that the commandments that God gives are so good for us because God has been so loving to us in the past. I remember when I was your age, um, every time I had a birthday, I'd get money, probably like you do, or um, gift cards or whatever, right? And you don't know what to do with all that money, right? You got nothing to spend it on. Well, you have some things. You have an Amazon wish list. Or you have some things to spend it on. But I remember my parents forced me to um, save my money. 
Do your parents ever do that? They say, yeah, you have to save your money. Yeah, my parents forced me to save my money. Um, not all of it, of course, but they said you need to give some money, you need to save some money, um, and then you can spend a little bit of money, but you should save as much as you can. And they made it as sweet as they could, at least for a little while. If I saved a dollar, my parents would match it and put $2 in my savings account, okay? So there were times where I'd like get a $100 bill on my birthday or something when I was like 12 or 13, and I'd say, here you go, parents. And then they put 200 in my savings account. It was really cool. That stopped at some point, um, probably when I was about, yeah, your age, 12, 13. But I remember they, they were trying to incentivize me to save, right? And the reason was because they knew it'd be better for me to save my money and spend it later than spend it right now on like a bunch of, I don't know, lemon heads or something. They still make lemon heads, you know what I'm talking about? Those um, weird, yeah, they still make those, right? Or Mike and Ike's or... Uh, um, thinking of candy that I ate. I, I liked Baby Ruth for a while. I had this phase. I really liked Baby Ruth and I bought it all the time. And there was this bubblicious um, uh, cotton candy blue gum that came in like little chunks. Do they still make that? That was incredible. That was good. And th they only sold those at like the specialty candy shops. Whoa. I'm talking about like $3 for six pieces of gum but it was amazing. So anyway, what their point was, hey, it'd be better for you to save your money. And then I was really thankful because when I was 16, I, I bought a car and I've been driving it ever since. Um, I'm in the same car. I've never sold my car. Um, same car, right? And I'm really glad I saved my money at my 12-year-old birthday and my nine-year-old birthday because now I still am benefiting from that. It was a good decision. They forced me to make it, but it was good. Those rules that were put in my life were for my good, and I'm glad that they were in my life because then I got a car out of it at some point. Well, the same thing is true with God's rules. They're good for you. Even if at the moment they don't feel good for you, saying no to certain things and saying yes to what God wants you to do will be good, and, the, and you have to believe that. But the problem is it's hard to believe that if um, your heart is not in the right place before God. If you are one of those people that's stubborn, like it says in verse 16, who has that stiff neck, you're probably never going to believe that. So point number two, I, I want us to start thinking like this. Be sensitive towards God, not stubborn. Be sensitive, not stubborn towards God. Sensitive and stubborn. I'm trying to take those as opposites, okay? If you're stubborn towards God, you say, nope, I don't want to listen to what you say. If you're sensitive towards God, you're listening, not just saying, okay, God, I guess if you, if you tell me I have to do something, then I have to. If you're sensitive towards what God says, you're excited to do it. You're saying, what, what does God tell me to do next? What does God have for me next? What can he tell me to do? He uses that illustration. He says, have a soft heart, basically. That's what circumcise your heart means. Have a soft heart. Take away all the barriers that are keeping you from hearing God's word. Have a soft heart. Don't have a stiff neck, okay? That's maybe a, a good way of putting it. Have a soft heart. Don't have a stiff neck towards God. Don't say no. This whole um, illustration he uses of circumcision um, is something that Paul actually talks about in the New Testament. He says in Romans chapter 2 that the point of that symbol was never about just having a surgery, okay? That's not what it was about in the end. The whole point was he wanted God's people who were marked as God's special people, he wanted them to have a special heart towards God. Romans 2 says, for one is not a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor a circumcision outward and physical, but a, a true Jewish person, one of these people who were serving God in the Old Testament, that was one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit of God and not by the letter of the law. 
his praise is not from man, but from God. So someone who's sensitive towards God is basically what he's saying. I want to be a person who's sensitive to what God's word says. Deuteronomy chapter 30, the end of our book, Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 says, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. So it's interesting because at the end of the book says, I know I told you, you need to do this, but the reality is you can't even fix your heart on your own, right? You can try to take steps to be more sensitive. You can talk to God, you can ask God, but ultimately if you're going to be sensitive towards God and not stubborn towards God, that is a work that God has to do in your heart. And you need to ask him to do it to you. It says, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Problem with our hearts, and I want you to think about what the heart means. Old Testament says the heart is, is your thinker, right? Not just your feeler, right? And we like to talk about our heart like the thing that, that loves and cares, right? That's true in the Old Testament, but your heart is like who you are on the inside, when you think about who you are on the inside, are you a person who's stubborn towards God or are you a person who's sensitive towards God? Right. Problem is all of us are stubborn if we're honest. We all are stubborn. Even if you're the most sensitive person in the room towards God, you, you have a, a tendency to be stubborn because we're all sinful people. We all have sinful hearts. What that means is there are times we desire what is wrong. We desire to do what God says don't do. When we see a sign that says, don't touch this sign, what do you desire to do? I want to touch that sign. Why does it say not to touch the If you think about it, that's the dumbest thing ever. It says not to touch the sign. You should know, don't touch the sign. But if you see a sign that says, don't touch this sign, you better believe we're touching the sign, right? We're like, what, what's with the sign that says, don't touch the sign? Have you seen pictures like that? Like, don't touch this, this sign and it's like a useless sign. It's like a meme or something, whatever. Anyway, um, you're naturally inclined to do that, right? Here, here's why, okay? Because the Bible says we're naturally inclined to be rebellious against God, okay? Jeremiah chapter 17, verse nine says this about every single human heart. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and it's desperately sick. Then there's a question, who can understand it? Our hearts will always be drawn to do what's wrong as long as we're living in sin, okay? The more sin we live in, the more our hearts are gonna keep taking steps down the path of sin. They're desperately sick. Who can even understand our hearts? The next verse talks about how God is the only one who can understand our hearts. It's amazing because the New Testament actually promises, so actually the Old Testament promises this, and the New Testament shows us how this works, that when a person's saved from their sin, when a person becomes a Christian, when they're forgiven, when they repent of their sin and trust in Jesus, God does something amazing in their heart where he actually changes our hearts. Here's what the Old Testament says. I want you to write this passage down. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27. Ezekiel 36, 25, 26, and 27. Okay, here's what Ezekiel 36 says. I'll read it for you. God promises to these people, says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. So it's a promise that one day he's gonna forgive these people of their sin. Verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh, right? The opposite. Could you imagine having a heart of stone? You could imagine a rock as a heart. It's like you had a, a rock in the middle of your chest. That was the thing that controlled you were like a rock. You wouldn't listen. You're stubborn, but I'm gonna give you a heart of flesh, one that's soft, 
one that is sensitive towards me, not one that's stubborn towards me. I'll remove the heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit, this is God talking, I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules, okay? That is written in the book of Ezekiel. That is talking about what happens when a person becomes a Christian. As crazy as that sounds, it's written hundreds of years apart. But Ezekiel's writing about this is what happens when a person in the new covenant is what we call it. When a person trusts in Jesus, God's spirit changes them, gives them a new heart, takes out their heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh and causes them to obey God. So you might be thinking, well then, in order to obey God, like Deuteronomy says, I need to have a new heart. The answer is yes. Really, if you're really going to obey God, you can try. But to really live this life the right way, as Deuteronomy says, you need to have a new heart. Because the problem is, if you continue in your old heart, that's not sensitive towards God, that's always stubborn towards God, and you try to put these rules together, it'll become very obvious very quickly that you're incapable of doing what God says. We all are incapable of doing what God says. That's why we need to be forgiven. That's why we need to be saved. That's one of the amazing things that Jesus does for us. He gives us a new heart. The New Testament, Titus chapter three says that the Holy Spirit regenerates us. That's the technical term, regenerates us. It means gives us new life. And now he lives inside of us and he's gonna help us obey God. I want you to ask yourself the question, do you have a soft heart towards God? or do you have a stiff neck towards God? Which one is it? Do you have a soft heart towards God or do you have a stiff neck? Like you don't wanna listen. Which one is it? As you think about that, I want you to write down this passage, Hebrews chapter three, verse 12. Hebrews three twelve to 15. Hebrews three twelve to 15 talks about how we need to be careful that our hearts are soft towards God, not stubborn towards God. We need to be careful about that. Here's what it says. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. He says this to a whole group of people. The group of people probably has some real Christians with new hearts. And this group of people also probably has some fake Christians, people who go to church but aren't real Christians, whose hearts are still made of stone. And he says, be careful because in your group, there's going to be some of you who have evil and unbelieving hearts, who don't have soft hearts toward God, but they have stubborn hearts towards God. So what everyone should do, first of all, is say, I want to make sure, do I have a soft heart towards God or do I have a stubborn heart towards God? What, what about me? And then he says, but then look outward, exhort one another, encourage one another, help one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Here's what that means says, I want you to be careful because if you're not careful, sin will make you have a hard heart towards God. The more sin you do, the more lies you tell, the harder your heart gets towards God. When you uh, choose to disobey your parents once, it becomes a lot easier to disobey them again. When you lie to your friends once, it becomes a lot easier to lie to your friends again. When you cheat on your homework once and twice and three times, it becomes easier to cheat on the tests. That's basically what happens when we sin. It becomes easier and easier to do it. So what he says is, make sure in your life, you're soft towards God, not, not hard, not stubborn towards God, but also, even more than that, make sure the people in your life are not like that either. Verse 14, Hebrews three fourteen says, 
For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is written, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the rebellion. When she's talking about the group of people that lived just before Deuteronomy who hardened their hearts. God says this to you. If your heart is hard before God, don't keep hardening it. Soften your heart. Turn to God and confess your sin. So when you're convicted of your sin, right? When you read the Bible or you hear a sermon and you're like, oh man, I'm in sin. I did what was wrong. The answer that the Bible gives is have a soft heart towards God. Say, yes, I did what was wrong and be quick to confess it. Don't hide it. Don't get harder in your sin. If you know that you're not forgiven and you know you need to go to Jesus for forgiveness, don't harden your heart. Don't say, no, I don't want to go to Jesus for forgiveness. If your friends are in sin and you know they're in sin, don't say, ah, they can figure it out on their own. Hebrews 3 says you need to be the people exhorting them every day so that they don't get hardened in their sin either. One more passage for you here. Psalm 139, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, talk about what a soft-hearted person towards God, this is how they pray. And this is one of the things they say. They talk to God, they say, God, search me, know my heart, know what's going on inside of me. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any grievous or evil way in me. I want to know if I have some sin in my life. God, please show me if there's sin in my life. And then it says, and lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the right way that the book of Deuteronomy talks about. People who have changed hearts, what they start to do is they start to talk to God and they start to act like God. They start to live like God. And that's really what our text says. Back in our text, look at Deuteronomy 10, verse 17. This is where we left off last. Deuteronomy 10, 17. Everyone grab a Bible, check it out. Deuteronomy 10, 17. Here's what it says. After he says, don't be stubborn, be soft towards God, he says this. For the Lord your God is the God of all gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who's not partial and doesn't take a bribe. He's perfect. He never does anything that's sinful or wrong. Verse 18. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and he loves the sojourner. That means people who were living in their land that were living with them trying to serve God themselves. This giving them food and clothing and everything. Verse 19 says, in response, what you should do is you should be a person who also loves the sojourner. It says you are sojourners. Remember, you guys were traveling through this area, the area called Egypt, and you were not treated with a lot of love. He says, remember that when you guys were slaves back in Egypt? Make sure that you're treating people well too. Verse 20, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name, you shall swear. Basically, what that means, that might sound weird. What that's trying to say is, uh, God is your only God, okay? It's not God plus other gods. It's not God plus Baal. It's not God plus any of the other gods of the Canaanites. No, it's just, it's just the Lord. That's your only God. Verse 21, he is your praise. He's your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that you've seen with your eyes. I mean, think about all the crazy stuff they saw. They saw God swallow whole families into the earth in Korah's rebellion in Numbers chapter 16. That's what they saw. When people said, I don't want to follow God. We're going to do our own thing. We're leaving. God said, nope. And they saw amazing things like that. They saw what happened with the serpents in the wilderness in Numbers. They saw that. They saw what happened when people complained and God sent a plague. They saw all that. And and, and Moses says in Deuteronomy, you remember, you've seen what God has done. With your own eyes, you've seen it. He says, so, 
Remember that he's the person that has been good to you guys. Verse 22, your fathers went down to Egypt, only 70 people. When Joseph saved his brothers, if you remember at the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph saved his brothers who were hungry. And remember that whole story of the people bowing down to the brothers, bowing down to him and all that stuff. And he became that important Egyptian and they came asking for food and he gave them food, but they didn't, they didn't know who he was. That was this whole scene with Joseph. He says, you went to Egypt and there was only 70 of you. He says, but then when God led you out of Egypt, you were as numerous as the stars of heaven. The whole point of this is, okay, I've told you that you need to be sensitive towards God. But here's why you should be sensitive towards God. Because look at all the amazing things that God has done for you. He executes justice. He's perfect. He's the God of all gods. And he loves you. It says, just as he treated you well, it says in verse 19 specifically, you should treat other people well. You should say, okay, I want to be sensitive towards God. And the big way I want to do that is look at how loving God is and saying, I want to be like God. If you remember at the top of our passage in verse 12, says one of the things we need to do is walk in all the Lord's ways. What are his ways? Well, described here are a bunch of ways that God was loving. That's what I want you to write down for point number three. Learn to show loyal love to God and to others. Learn to show loyal love. What do we mean by loyal love? That's the kind of love that God showed. Loyal love. Sometimes it's called steadfast love. The idea that he makes a promise to his people and he's going to be good to them. And when they sin, he's going to discipline them. And when they obey, he's going to be responsive and he's going to give them good things. God was supposed to be their example of love. Okay. Same thing's true for us today. Same thing is true. God is your example of love. When you think, okay, how should I love other people? How should, how should I treat other people? Your thought should be, how would God want me to treat them? Right? I don't want to be stubborn towards God. I want to be sensitive towards God. Right? In the New Testament, we see even Jesus. He is our example of love. Think about what he does. He lives this perfect life for people. He sacrifices himself for them. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 says, By this we know what love is. That Jesus laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother having some kind of need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? How can you say that you love God and know God and have this right heart before God if you're refusing to love the people around you, the people in your small group, the people at your home, your siblings, your parents, your grandparents, your cousins? Okay, you know what God says to do. You know how he's shown love. That's what he calls you to do too says, and if you know the right thing to do, but you never show that love, how can you say that you know God? How can you say you have that good relationship with God? Probably points to the fact that you probably don't know God as well as you think you do. It says in verse 18, 1 John 3, 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. That's how God loved these people. That's what Deuteronomy 10 says, that he loved the sojourner. He loved the Israelites. When they were in that sojourning land in the wilderness. Remember when they walked through the wilderness? We studied this last week. It said their feet didn't swell. Their shoes did not wear out. I've had these vans for like, I don't know, two or three years. And every time I step, like they open up on the sides. You see that? You guys have tennis shoes like that? So mine do. You see that? I don't know if you can all see this, but check this out. If I step like this, what happens? They all open up like that. 
I'm always afraid to wear these when it rains because when it rains, it's just my feet are going to get wet, right? said for 40 years, I've only had these for three years and I wear them like, I don't know, like once every two weeks. But these people had the same shoes on for 40 years and they didn't wear out. That was a miracle of God because God cared for them and loved them. Remember last week how we said he cared for them in the wilderness so that to prove to them that he'd care for them when they had everything they wanted? It says the same thing is true. God loved them and that needs to be your example. Jesus can be your example. Looks like putting other people first. It looks like letting other people speak when you're not having a conversation with them. Looks like being kind to people and asking them about how their week was. It looks like a lot of things. Looks like you forgiving people in your small group when they're mean to you or they don't treat you the way that you want to be treated. It looks like forgiving them. Looks like, looks like all those things. Looks like whatever Jesus would do. Key to all that is having that soft heart. You're never going to do any of that stuff. You're never going to be like God. You're never going to do anything like that unless you have a soft heart towards God and say, I'm not going to be stubborn anymore. It's the key. I told you last week that uh, Alexander forgot the keys in the rental car. Did I tell you that two days earlier, she forgot the keys in her actual car and locked them in? Did, did, that, did we tell you this? I'm picking on her because she's not here tonight, I guess. Um, but here's what happened. We, we got to church. I didn't drive my car for some reason. I, I, we went with her. Um, she left her keys in the car. She got out of the car locked the door, closed the door, walked around to the other side, opened it. It was locked. And she locked her keys in the car. Um, we had to have uh, Ruth. You know Ruth? You know, Laurie's friend, Ruth? Um, yeah, you know, you know Ruth? Uh, yeah, Ruth. Francesca's mother. Yeah, that makes a little bit more sense. That's a little closer connection um, <laughs> than Laurie's coworker, Francesca's mom, yeah. My dad's uh, assistant, Ruth. She has triple A, so we had we had her get the. They just called triple A. It was really lame. This guy comes in with like this hook thing. He just sticks it down the window, pulls it up, and uh, opens the car. It's really scary. This dude could rip off any car in the world with just this like special hook thing that he like sticks down in the window and pops it open, and boom, there's the key. We couldn't go anywhere without the key. We couldn't do anything with the car. It just was a car. Um, we couldn't even get in. Her purse was in there. It was like we were just stuck without the key, right? Cars don't work without keys, okay? None of this stuff works without a heart that's soft before God. None of it works. A soft heart before God is the key to everything that we've studied in the book of Deuteronomy. So as we talk about that in small groups, I want you to think about that. A soft heart, that's the key to what God tells us to do. So we're gonna talk about that in small groups. So let's pray real quick before we get there. God, please help us. Help us understand more about what your word says. We wanna be sensitive towards it. We know that tonight is really just like a setup for all the rest of what we'll study in your word for the rest of our lives. I just pray that we would think this through, that we need to have a soft heart towards you. That if we're stubborn and insensitive towards your word, that we're never gonna understand you. We're never gonna have a right relationship with you if we're stubborn towards you. And that ultimately, this is a work that you need to do in our hearts. We ask that you would accomplish this, that you would soften people's hearts here tonight who know the truth about your word, that they know for some of them that they need to repent of their sins once and for all, but maybe some of them are not doing that because they have stubborn hearts. I pray that they would recognize that tonight, 